Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I'm Catherine Murray. Um, great to have you all here again. Uh, there's certainly been so much disruption in the market, to say the least. Um, so glad to be able to bring you a veteran in the market, John Seckner. Um, who, John, you, you, you give me the background again now. I mean, you and I have been talking for about a decade now, but you, you've been managing money for how long? Uh, about 40 years now. I got in the business around uh, 82, 83. So, and I started up my own firm about 10 years later, 1993. So we've been running it for that firm all, for almost 30 years now. So that's, uh, that's a cycles. lot. A lot of cycles, and that's really important. You know, people forget that a lot of people, and you know, I was young on a trading desk and hadn't seen many cycles as well. So I'm not saying anything's bad here per se, but you know, a lot of people that in the market right now actually haven't seen, um, you know, a lot of the, you know, dismantling um, of the markets. That, well, that, you it's, know. Funny, it's funny you say that, Catherine, because you're absolutely right, and I, I constantly reminded because. You know, as time goes on, people tend to throw out the old models. They say, oh, these things don't work anymore. And for the last couple of years, and I had the question to myself, because I grew up in, you know, the Milton Friedman monetary period where, you know, you create, the more money you create, money creates inflation. Money growth creates inflation. And it's simple. And for years and years, you know, past decade, you just went to this unlimited zero interest rate, negative interest rates, which was the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard of flooding the system with money and yet the whole goal seemed to be we need to get inflation higher you need to get it up to two percent or maybe we'll even go higher than that and i thought okay it's like all those old models didn't work create more money create inflation and then suddenly they do <laughs> and then suddenly inflation is a problem you can't deal with and you're back to the old thing of you know pulling on a string with monetary policy and you know cutting back as much as you can so it uh, you know, these things do work in the end and in markets as well. I mean, they, they just come around to the reality of it. I mean, Catherine, we've gone through so many cycles like this. Well, you know, back to the tech wreck. I mean, even a couple of yep. years ago, you look at what happened with the pot stocks in Canada when, you know, you know, you would have people like me on and other portfolio managers and we'd all be shaking our heads. They can't believe these valuations. And then, you know, you're, you're wrong for a period of time, but in the end, then they dropped 90%. And I think, you know, to a degree, part of the stock market was experiencing that as well. And, uh, you know, you saw some of these valuations of, you know, of, of the SPACs and the cryptos and other things going through the roof because they were just engendered by this zero free money policy and yeah. you created a bubble and now you're deflating this bubble as you pull away that, you know, that period of, of risk-free investing and, and, and zero interest rates. Yeah. And, I, you know, the problem, too, is that, you know, valuation matters. I mean, it just does. It, make, it makes um, looking at your portfolio, to me, so easy. You know, like, you know, personally, I bought Exxon when it had a 9% yield, right? And energy hadn't even taken off yet. Um, I bought Philip Morris. I was just looking the other day. It, it's actually one of the few in the Wall Street Journal. I was actually looking at the regular stock tables that you can look at in a newspaper. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's one of the few stocks that's actually up um, on a year-to-date basis. But, 
you know, I bought it when nobody wanted it. And, and so, you know, it's difficult because everybody buys these pot stocks and everybody wants them. And, you know, like, let's be fair, John, you and I know, I mean, the people making the money are the people either owning the company who own the shares or the investment bankers. I mean, unless you're really early as an investor, that's kind of how this stuff works. But you're right on, on looking at the valuation part, Catherine. So you sort of think about it too. And again, you know, the general opinion it, it tends to be counter cyclical on this one. You think about, it, you know, two years ago, how many times we, would you do an interview with someone who was 80 about energy? It's quote, uninvestable. Anytime you hear about something is uninvestable, you better take a hard look at it because it just means it's near a bottom and everybody is getting out. You know, now it almost scares me a little to the other extreme that absolutely everybody seems to be jumping back onto the, you know, onto the energy bandwagon. So there's this betwixt and between kind of thing but you're absolutely right i think in the end your valuations do matter and the, the only risk with that is sometimes and i've been caught this many times you can get into the value traps where fundamentals are deteriorating a stock looks cheap the fundamentals get worse and it gets cheaper so the degree you can ignore that i think there's plenty of opportunities where that's that's not happening in the market right now and then you do have to pay attention to valuation and that's you know you've seen that correction in a lot of spots you've certainly seen it in the technology sector and that's where i think you're probably creating some decent opportunities in here too yeah <clears throat> excuse me i do want to get to the stock but just um from a top-down perspective john you know when you think about what's going to move the markets and what's been moving the markets look i, I think it's going to continue to be the war and therefore the um, supply constraints that puts on energy and food um, hence inflation, and then also the US Federal Reserve. But I, I'm almost in the camp, and I've been saying this now for a couple of weeks, I've been doing a few speeches that, you know, I, I think that the economy has slowed down and that it, it's done some of the work for the US Federal Reserve. Like, I don't think that we're gonna see as an aggressive Fed, which I mean, I, I think that gives us some room to move higher in the equity markets in certain areas. So what, what's What's your approach to thinking? You know what, Catherine, I'm on the same page with you on that one exactly, because I think everybody is sort of looking at this right now and just sort of thinking, you know, the Fed has, has this new mentality that they have to bring inflation down. I think they'd be very aggressive on rates. But I'm sort of with you that I think they, they may start to get an economic response more quickly and inflationary response to the downside than maybe the market's anticipating if that occurs. You know, it, it'll be better for markets. I think what, what's interesting right now is this first down wave of the market. You know, you, I wouldn't call it a bear market yet. I'd call it a pretty substantial correction. It has been a multiple revaluation. Uh, you've seen it. It took the highest multiple stocks down. And that's, you know, that gives you sort of a 10 to 20% correction, almost 30% on the NASDAQ. You see it. What would turn this into a bear market is the second shoe to drop. And the second shoe to drop would be our earnings estimates going to start to come down fairly dramatically. And, and that one, we don't know yet because it, it all comes down to can the Fed achieve this sort of soft landing? Can they sort of bring inflation down? Can they raise these interest rates, slow the economy down without crashing it? And that's a fine, you know, a fine line or a zone really to hit. I sort of think they, they can remanage it down, but that would be, what turns this thing into a, a full-blown bear market if you start to see the earnings revision down. And we got a little peak of that, Catherine, in the last couple of weeks when you started to get the retail earnings. So, you know, the tech companies came out, the financials came out, they seemed fine on the earnings. And then, you know, when, when Walmart and Target and some of these big retailers came out and they talked about the cost pressures and the slowdown in sales, the buildup of the inventory, things like that, that's when you started to worry, okay, is there an earnings shoe to drop here? And if that is the case, that is a bit of the downside. So I think the next couple of weeks is is important. I mean, you know, I think you got enough of a downturn that you can sort of buy into a bounce. 
But I, I'd like to start to see the earnings come through and the commentary from companies across all industries before I say, okay, this is, you know, free and clear. But you need to see how well they do managing into a, the slower growth. I mean, it's like, say, it's only been done once in the past, a soft landing. So I, can they do it again this time? I don't know. The jury's out. So, and that is the whole market risk, which I think is why you're seeing such massive volatility because everybody runs from one side of the ship to the other in a hurry. So, yeah. So let's then talk about a couple of the stocks um, and let's start with Disney. That's one of your top picks today. Why, why is that? And, um, you know, obviously it's exposed to the U.S. consumer big time. Yeah, a couple of reasons on that one. First of all, I'm looking for companies where the value, the the earnings estimates have actually gone higher or certainly not deteriorated, yet the stocks are down. Disney fits that case down basically almost 50% from its peak, and yet the the, the earnings profile has, to me, gotten better. The parks in the U.S. are just doing phenomenally well. I mean, they're not running the same numbers they were before in terms of number of people, but I guess, you know, the, what they're charging for the rides and whatever must be a lot higher. You know, Space Mountain must be more expensive now because, you know, what the cash they're throwing off in the parks has been huge and the margins have risen. And this is without Shanghai and some of the European parks sort of back in, in full operation. So the parks are doing phenomenally well. The streaming business, I think, is underappreciated. I mean, you know, we have like all the streaming services here. You know, I get six or seven oh. different ones. But if I looked at my total family's use and said, you're only allowed to keep one streaming service, which would it be? I think hands down it would be Disney just because of the variety. You know, when you look at sort of the, you know, the Lucas Library, the Star Wars and everything else, what they've done with the Marvel franchise, the Fox purchase, other things, they have the deepest library by far. So I think that side is a little underappreciated. And then finally, on top of all of that, I don't think anybody uh, sort of cross sells better than Disney. They've always done it well. You know, you come up with a movie, you turn it into a ride at the park, you turn it into a, a video game. I mean, you turn it into now a streaming activity, you sell merchandise on it. I mean, they, they cross sell their products so exceptionally well. It has been, you know, one of the great growth stocks I, I, I'd say of the past five or six decades. And I just, you know, now you're getting it at a, at a a cheaper price again, way off. And I think it's just, you know, buy it here and put it away. What's the valuation of it, John? Like, I'm, I'm surprised it's down 50%. Well, because of the way the earnings have changed and, and with the park closures and everything else on a PE multiple basis, it's looking, you know, at the higher end of what it's been, but you're not getting as much, earn, you know, probably north of 20 times right now, but you're not getting the earnings uh, you know, the way Netflix was, was valued as well off of the streaming side as much because you're still building an asset right now. So you're spending more than you're taking in. So you got to be a little bit forward looking at that. So on the pure historical multiple, it's not, I say the cheapest it's been, but I think on a, a some of the parts basis, uh, I think it absolutely is. Mm, okay. Um, let's take a look at another one, um, kind of sticking with some of the big tech names, uh, Alphabet or Google. Yeah, and this is what you know. You and I were talking about this a few minutes ago, Catherine. I mean, if we're in this camp a little bit, that inflation starts to come down more quickly than expected, and you can do something closer to soft landing, the economy slows down, you're going to start to look back at the companies who can still generate earnings growth in this. And I think by what you know is 5G continues, the expansion of the cloud continues, online activity streaming are continuing at the rate they've been going on. So I'm looking for big players in tech that have come down and have sort of the broad swath of appeal. And the alphabet absolutely fits that criteria. Trading now is sort of about a high teens multiple. You look at what they've done, you know, with you with YouTube, obviously what they own on, on the search side. They still got the Android operating system completely owning that. I mean, basically the, the biggest software program for uh, 
for cell phones in the world, for mobile in the world. So you got so many core assets. They're probably generating about 60 billion in annual free cash flow, the massive cash on the balance sheet. So like, these are the kinds of things I want to own. I, I like technology longer term and you're getting these things you know, discounted fairly. Now, the only risk in the short term, probably why the stocks come under a little bit of pressure, obviously, is, is it's ad uh, it's sort of tied to ad for advertising spending to a degree because particularly in mobile, because they and Facebook Meta basically own uh, online advertising. They basically split the market between them. So there's some risk of how that goes. And obviously Meta got hurt by that because of uh, taking off the track and you could get on the iOS with the Apple system that's hurt Meta more than it's going to be hurting Alphabet. So like I say, when I look at the assets in total, like you add them up and getting that at less than a market multiple, this is a, a great long-term growth story as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the goal right now is to look for some of the companies, the big bellwether companies that are trading at less than a market multiple, for sure, just kind of gives you a little bit of the downside, depending on if the market continues to decline. But with respect to the ad revenue for, for Google, um, and obviously Facebook was hit, to your point, more because of its Apple um, issues. But with Google, well, in general, if, if we've got a slower economy, I mean, you know, when advertisers start to pull back, rightly or wrongly, you really see it reflected in in stocks. And well, you do. So you, 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 you do. Like, you got penetration coming on mobile advertising. Let's face it. I mean, when Facebook went public, mobile advertising was almost non-existent, and now you know it's sort of the largest part of the advertising pie, and you've got two guys dominating it. So I, you know, I, I think the impact of, of an economic slowdown on ad spending towards, you know, Alphabet in particular is, is you know, is far less important. Okay. Um, let's take a look at another tech company, Qualcomm. Why Qualcomm? Well, across the board, you know, the chip sector to me is like, you know, the, the growth area of the industrial sector and you've got to have exposure, whether you have it through the SMH, you know, advanced micro, there's a lot of names out there. But what I like about Qualcomm right now is uh, valuation. I mean, you're talking probably over 12 forward multiple right now. They are the go-to player in 5G for growth there on Qualcomm chips. But they've also sort of expanded well into the, the IoT, the internet of things as well. So we've got a more diversified product mix, very low multiple, but like I say, to me, the, the chips are the engine of growth. I put Qualcomm, AMD, you know, a variety of LAM research is just a lot of guys I think these, and these stocks have come down pretty substantially. I mean, you know, some NVIDIA, some of them are still trading at, at fairly rich multiples, but you know, you're talking about high teams growth rate still at less than a market multiple. That's a great combination and generating that cash. And in the end, the chip shortage, to me, you can take the negative side of it and the way it hurts the industry. I'll take the sort of the more glass half full side of Catherine and just say that this, what says is there's a, such a backlog of, of demand for the products that these guys are gonna have to continually expand production going forward. And that sort of guarantees you growth going forward as well. So a lot of names in the chip sector I like, uh, if you want to sort of play the easier way, play the SMH, which is the ETF for the exchange uh, rate fund for the chip sector. But if you wanted one name, I'd, I'd take Qualcomm in here. And, and just a little bit further in terms of why Qualcomm over at NVIDIA. NVIDIA's really, to me, been the go-to name for yeah. money. 
Yeah, NVIDIA's, uh, they have been, uh, particularly for gaming and crypto. And I think there's probably a little bit more, you know, like gaming isn't really slowing down, but they're getting more competition. Uh, they've done well in data center as well, but I think on data center, I would take advanced micro devices as a much better play there because they're, they're gaining more market share too. Uh, so then you get down to, you know, crypto. I, I don't know. I, I don't really want to bet on the future necessarily of crypto or what the valuations are. And again, you know, the gaming chips. Yeah, that's, I, I don't know if I'm willing to pay as much of a premium multiple. Even with the, the sell-off you've seen in NVIDIA based on the last quarter's earnings, you know, you're still talking a mid-30s multiple in here. So it, it's it's gotten cheaper, but it is far from being cheap. And there's just so many names. Like this, there's other names that I'm finding at less than 20 multiples uh, that are growing, or like I say, an advanced micro, which is in the same spot. And they had blow-away earnings in the last part, quarter. They continue to you know control data centers, uh, they're taking massive market share away from Intel and, you know, that multiple is compressed a lot to sort of into the low twenties. So again, a, a cheaper play for growth. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely been a pushback on NVIDIA. It's, uh, it's hard to justify the valuation for sure. Um, now let's take a look at a couple of Canadian names. Um, so I don't, I'm not familiar with this one, North American construction, the ticker is NOA. Yeah, and that's sort of probably the, one of the good things you can say about it is, is interesting. It is not that well known. It's under the radar screen. So it's effectively an engineering company. I mean, what they've really been known for is sort of an engineering company for the oil sands projects. And when those slow down, a lot of the, you know, Fort McMurray was one of the, you know, obviously the largest centers. And when you had that last downturn in energy, uh, you know, they really, that whole area got crushed and they thought now the spending is going to get, continue to turn down in this area. When the energy market started turning around, everybody said the energy companies have new mentalities. It's no longer spend, grow, build. Uh, this is return cash to shareholders, you know, pay down debt, uh, which is what it's been. But I think in the process, the service companies have been a little bit lost in the shuffle because I think with with oil hanging around $100 or anything close to this range, you know, there are going to be more projects. Everybody's going to try to filter out more production growth or, or from their existing operation. And certainly what's happening in the Ukraine is, is hastening that need. And you've seen, seen it lately, uh, you know, I think one of the last things the Alberta Premier said on his way out was talking about the potential for, you know, bumping Alberta production to about mil by a million and up to a million and a half barrels a day, which would be massive. I think it's beyond their capability right now. You can't do that without these engineering companies jumping in. So back to North American construction, NOA, trading about four times operating cash flow, they have a clean balance sheet. They've also started expanding beyond just pure energy. They've got a lot of mining projects on the way now. So when I compare it to a, you know, an SNC or an ACON or a lot of the engineering companies or the construction companies, you're looking at half the valuation multiple and just, it's an unknown entity. And I think that's where the opportunity is. Good balance sheet growth. And I, like I say, I think there has to be some more spending going back into the energy sector now. You just can't, you know, can continue to live off this, these existing productions. But some guys, I think I just saw it this morning, in fact, Sonovas was restarting one of their projects as well. So there's going to be some of this because there's a, there's a demand for, as, as we all know, marginal production needs, you know, whether it means just boosting existing output from output from existing wells or sort of a, sort of improving the flows, improving the storage, whatever, and you need these engineering companies for that. And John, um, with respect to energy, how much exposure do you have? Are, are you, do, or whether, whether you do or you don't, but do you believe we're going to see these prices continue to stay at these elevated levels? 
I think it's good, you'd have a hard time breaking down the oil price right now. And I think the biggest uh, indicator of that was the fact that you almost completely turned off the Chinese economy for about two months in there, and you barely saw a uh, pullback in the price of oil. And that tells you a lot. I mean, it's one of the biggest buyers out there. I just think in the short term, between the Ukraine problems, what you had generally in a tight market, um, you know, you just can't deliver what, what they need to do. So you're not going to see a major pullback in the price of oil, certainly in the short term, until you start bringing new production, or unless you absolutely crush demand, which I guess there's some risk of that. I mean, what's $5 a gallon in the US or whatever they're paying now, it's going to bring down driving a little bit, but I don't think dramatically. So I think oil prices stay relatively high. What I'd be a little more wary of is nat gas. I don't think there's much right. of a structural shortage, and nat gas prices have gone from, what, three you know, $3 in MTF to, to over $8. I don't think you're sustainable in that range. And I, I think there's less of a supply tightness in that market just because suddenly there's a demand for LNG and other things. I think it got pushed up a little bit maybe by, you know, futures trading and other things. So I'd be a little more wary when you're looking at your portfolio of energy stocks of the more gas levers. So we've been taking names out of, uh, money out of names like ARC, and tourmaline, which have done great, but are really more gas levered and sort of sticking with, you know, the megs, the, the Crescent Point Energies, white cap, names like that are more pure, pure oil plays. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think so many people were waiting for so many years to, to see that gas do something. And it finally did. Yeah, it did. So, you know, well, yeah, no shortage of supply really in, in that gas. It's still, you know, you still spot it off from the, you know, a, a lot of the shale of, uh, production as well. So, I mean, they were, they were burning off excess gas for nothing for years there. So I don't think we're in, in any sort of structural supply shortage in the same degree we are with oil. Yeah. Um, yeah, fair point. Let's say your last topic, and it's Magna. Um, I was looking at a chart yesterday, um, just taking a look at different price declines for autos and used cars and, and auto parts. Um, but that's that's not right now. It's a couple of years out. But what, what are you seeing in the auto sector and auto parts? Uh, in auto sector, generally, Catherine, I just see valuation. You talked about cheap stocks, just buying cheap stocks at the beginning of this. And I think that's the auto sector just sticks out. I mean, I think you've already priced in the next recession in autos, even though we haven't have yet to see it. I mean, a company like Magnet generates cash. They're positioned well to migrate from the move from internal combustion to EVs. Because you look at it, I mean, outside of the 10% or so of parts that are drivetrain oriented, the rest of them are, you know, you can easily move production to EVs because, you know, interior panels, that's all, you know, electronic, that's all going to be in electronic vehicles, the same as it is internal combustion vehicles. So I think they're well positioned for that migration. You know, less risk probably than some of the major producers. You know, trading what you know three to four times operating cash flow. So, you know, eight or nine times earnings, cheap valuation. Like that. I think you you factored in a downturn that may or may not occur, and if it does occur, it's already factored into the price. So I think that gives you upside on a clean balance sheet generating that cash. So it's just makes me a position very well. But it, autos have been out of favor, and I don't know everyone, everyone sort of says the auto cycle is over. I, I don't know to agree. I mean, the average age of the vehicle I saw the other day on the road in, in the U.S. right now was over 12 and a half years, which is historically you know, the highest it's been. Maybe they're building better be better vehicles that last longer, but I think you'll continue to have a demand for, for new vehicles out there. And then parts manufacturers like Meg, I think, are positioned well to sort of participate in that growth. Hmm. Okay. Um, 
And uh, John, just thinking of things that are out of favor, there's been so much volatility in some of the reopening trades, like the cruise lines, they're still down dramatically. Um, any interest there or in some of the airlines? Yeah, we, uh, we've got Air Canada on the books right now. I like it. And yeah, I've looked at some of the cruise operators, Norwegian in, in the U.S. You know, you're right, they've come down a long way. And I think, yeah, people are going to get back on. There, they, there's a, a pent-up demand for, you know, for travel, for doing things, you know, for services that you haven't seen. There's been all demand for goods for the past couple of years. And Air Canada, I think, positions themselves really well. I mean, they restructured in the downturn. They improved the balance sheet. They sort of shifted the capacity around so they could take more cargo rather than passengers. But I don't think demand will, as we all know, is never going to return to where it was for business travel and other things like that. But I think personal travel is returning. And, you know, these guys have improved their profitability. And yet the stock is down more than 50% still, almost 60% from the peak we saw back in 2000, in 19, 2020. Uh, so, you know, I think you can play some catch up there and the valuation is still looking relatively good. It just obviously it's taking some time to get this turnaround. It's probably been a little bit more delayed than we all would have thought because, you know, first of all, the, the Omicron variant last year and, and sort of the slowness of the return. But, but yeah, no, no, I, I like that sector. I like, you know, the reopening trade is still in yeah. place. And I think it'll, you know, it's going to happen on a global basis. And uh, these guys, you, you want to have something, some exposure there.